0: And welcome to Because CONCACAF, the podcast where we break down all the action and all the craziness from the Confederation of North and Central American and Caribbean Associations of Football, and sometimes the rest of the world too. With Don Palumbo, I'm Andy Loman, and we have CONCACAF Nations League quarterfinals to preview, an NWSL final to recap, MLS playoffs that are continuing, and much more. Let's start with the Nations League. Uh, A reminder that the winners of these two-leg aggregate quarterfinals will not only qualify for March's semifinal round, which today was announced will be in Dallas at AT AT&T Stadium, but also will qualify for the 2024 Copa America. The losers will play each other in two-leg aggregate matchups in March for the final two Copa America berths. Those matches are going to be in Frisco, Texas, at the home of FC Dallas. United States playing Trinidad and Tobago, a reminder that the U.S. has won the only two previous iterations of Nations League. This is the first time Trinidad and Tobago has even made the knockout stage. These two teams have never faced each other in this competition. Of course, there's the traumatic 2-1 loss in Kuva that sealed the U.S. men's national team's fate of missing the 2018 World Cup. But to be fair, the U.S. has exercised those demons, you know, a couple times now, including a 6-0 win over the Soka Warriors in the Gold Cup this summer with a hat trick, from Jesus Ferreira, the Pirate of the Caribbean. Let's go through the roster uh, for these two games really quickly, starting with goalies. Uh, Matt Turner has been benched at 9M Forest after bad performance against Liverpool, so that's not great. Of course, he's been benched for Greek international Odysseus Vlachodimos. Sorry, my Greek is not great there. Don't worry. Uh, but that means Everybody Ethan works. Horvath has still not seen the field this season, which is also not great. But he is the U.S. men's national team back up again. Gaga Slonina is back in the picture as the third-string goalkeeper. His one cap for the U.S. was a January-friendly against Serbia. He's on the books at Chelsea, uh, currently out on loan to Yupin in the Belgian Pro League, where he is a regular starter, and they currently sit in 12th. Belgium actually has like a really interesting playoff system uh, at the end of their season, and that would get them a birth to a playoff that they could then play for a Europa Conference League berth, So that's very exciting. You're not in your head at me. I know you love the Europa Conference League. Don't even act like you don't. Sure. Defenders. Uh, the only change in this group from last month is World Cup starter Anthony Robinson is returning from injury. So he'll take the place of New England Revolutions' DeJuan Jones. I'll go quickly through these guys. Tim Ream continues to be a regular starter at center back for Fulham are currently 16th in the English Premier League. He had a nice performance with six interceptions and a draw away to Brighton and Hove Albion the other day. Uh, like we mentioned, Anthony Jedi Robinson has resumed his starting duties at left-back next to him at Fulham as well. Sergio Dest continues to start for PSV. They've been using him as a left-back uh, as they continue their absolute obliteration of the Eredivisie in the Netherlands. 12 wins out of 12 matches and a plus 40 goal differential. They already have a seven-point lead over second-place Feyenoord. In the Champions League, they drew Lawns on the road and beat them at home to move into second place in Group B in position to advance to the round of 16 behind Arsenal. Then in a 4-0 win over PEC Zvole on Sunday, Dest had just an incredibly Dest assist cutting in from the left, weaving through defenders, then playing a cheeky, no-look, Cruyff-touch pass thing. to his U.S. Men's National teammate, Malik Tillman, who had a nice finish to the top bins. <laughs> this is a PSV podcast now. I'm just declaring it now. <laughs> Miles Robinson uh, remains a starter at center back for Atlanta United, who just got eliminated from the playoffs uh, by the Columbus Crew. I think that was last night. Time is just kind of bending together for me. Cameron Carter-Vickers has been starting at center back for Celtic, who are undefeated in the Scottish Premiership and are eight points ahead of Rangers at the top of the table. They've been struggling a little bit more in the Champions League, and despite getting a draw at home against Atletico Madrid, they're in last in Group E. Chris Richards has not been playing consistently for Crystal Palace, although he did come on as a sub in the Eagles' 2-0 win over Burnley the other weekend. Palace is currently 13th in the English Premier League. Joe Scally has been seen steady time as the starting right back for Borussia Mönchengladbach as they sit in ninth in the Bundesliga in Germany. They also advanced to the round of 16 of the DFB Pokal, which is the German Cup, after a 3-1 win over Leonard Maloney's Heidenheim. This weekend, Scally picked up an assist and a 4-0 victory over Wolfsburg. And then finally, for the defenders, we got Christopher Lund, uh, has still been the starting left back for Palermo. They're currently in third in Serie B in Italy, which would earn them a berth in the promotion playoffs semifinals for a chance to get promoted to the top flight. In terms of midfielders, uh, this is the same group as the original in October, uh, with the addition of Paxton Aronson, who is the brother of World Cup attacker Brendan Aronson. Paxton is a product of the Philadelphia Union Academy. He played with their senior team until a move this year to Eintracht Frankfurt in Germany. He has one senior U.S. men's national team cap, a friendly against Colombia in January, but he's been a star at the youth level, including winning the golden ball at the 2022 CONCACAF under-20 championship. That's where the U.S. secured its qualification to next summer's Olympics. Weston McKinney continues to be the versatile central mid-slash-wingback star for Juventus as they've won five straight Serie A matches in Italy, including a 1-0 win over AC Milan in the ultimate U.S. men's national team derby. Juve are currently in second place in Serie A, two points behind Inter Milan, which would be good enough to see them back in Champions League next year. Yunus Musa has continued to feature in midfield for AC Milan, although they've had a little rough patch of form. They've dropped down to third in the Serie A standings and are six points behind Juventus in second. They did just get a big win over PSG in the Champions League and remain in the thick of the hunt in the group of death, just two points off Group F leaders Dortmund and in third. Gio Reyna has been a rotational player for Dormund. Uh, he's you know, still working back from injury. They currently sit fifth in the Bundesliga and are on top of the group of death in the Champions League and have advanced to the round of 16 of the DFB Pokal with a 1 0 win over Hoffenheim. Luca Della Torre continues to be a starting midfielder for Celta Vigo, although they currently sit in the relegation zone of La Liga in Spain. Johnny Cardoso, I think, just had to pull out of this camp today. Um, I forget what his injury was. I think it's a hamstring. Um, but he continues to be the starting defensive midfielder for Internacional in the Brazilian league, where they sit in 13th. That would not get them into Copa Libertadores next year, but would get them into Copa Sudamericana. He had assists in back-to-back matches, including a classic Johnny soccer moment and a 2-1 win over Cruzeiro, where he won attack on the opponent's half, carried the ball forward, and set up a teammate to score. Malik Tillman. Uh, had to pull out of the October camp, but he's back healthy. Has been getting, been contributing to PSV's successful season. In addition to his goal from Dest, he scored in a 6-0 drubbing of Heracles. definitely finishing off a cross. And then he also provided the assist on PSV's lone goal in a 1-1 away draw to Lons in the Champions League. Leonard Maloney continues to be the starting defensive mid- midfielder for Heidenheim, or 13th in the Bundesliga. For forwards, this is where it gets uh, a little interesting. Without our two starting wieners, Christian Pulisic and Tim Weah, both World Cup goal scorers, they each have minor hamstring injuries and will be out. We do still have Brendan Aronson. He's been a rotational player this year for Union Berlin, who are having a pretty miserable season and dead last in the (laughs) Bundesliga. Uh, In the Champions League, they did get a draw against Napoli last week, but have been eliminated from advancing to the knockout stage. There's still at least in contention for the Europa League knockout stage. Ricardo Pepe has been a super sub striker for PSV's hot start that we talked about earlier. In the aforementioned win over Heracles, he had a goal and an assist. Alex Zendejas, the 2022-23 Nations League champion, is back. He's been on an absolute heater for Club America and Mexico lately, scoring three goals in five matches since the last international break. America has been running away with the Apertura. They've clinched the top seed for the playoffs down in Mexico. Florent Baligan continues to start on the front line for Monaco, who have stumbled slightly in the league. They're now in third place, three points behind league-leading PSG. And finally, Kevin Paredes has been getting some starts for Wolfsburg, who have unfortunately dropped to 11th in the Bundesliga, but did beat RB Leipzig to advance to the round of 16 of the DFB Pokal. Paredes scored Wolfsburg's second goal in a 2-2 draw with Werder Bremen the other week. Just threw a lot of information at you. Dom, what are your thoughts on the U.S., and what is your starting 11 against Trinidad and Tobago?
1: Man, so I can't just say vibes. I actually have to, like, provide coherent commentary about this roster. I'd prefer it, but, I mean, we could just go off vibes if we really <clears> wanted <throat> to. I'm, I'm... In terms of the starting 11, I'm really fascinated to see what Greg does with Geo, Because if you're just missing one or the other in terms of Weah or Pulisic, I think you can still be inclined to put him in that Cam number 10 role. If they're both injured, like... You kind of just need to get all of the best players possible on the field. And right. I have a feeling, and I'll even say it this way against both of their desires, I think the injury situation almost forces Greg to put Geo out wide. Now they can throw house out there, they can put Aronson out there. Not saying that trinidad isn't gonna provide challenges but you'll note that our c plus team shredded these dudes six nil in charlotte a couple months ago so it would be really alarming if our a minus team can't put six seven eight goals past them and
0: is it greedy to want a double digit over two legs in an aggregate. So,
1: well, like, I so I think, I, but I think I, well, Hey, hang on. Given how they are going to seed the four semifinalists, oh, God. I forgot about that goal difference and points matter. So even if they win, let's say the U S wins eight nil. If they go down and lose one nil in Trinidad, they all of a sudden drop to what maybe third or fourth in that table, right? So I'm fascinated to see if that plays any sort of role in Greg's decision making over these two legs. I don't know how I know. I know going into the last edition of of the Nations League, getting that one seed was super important when they played El Salvador and Grenada in that March window. Getting like. Pummeling six seven eight goals past Grenada was really important to Hudson and the crew because they wanted to set themselves up to get that top seed to ideally have the easiest path to the final. How important that is, considering what we did to Mexico in that nation's league final I uh, I have I have no idea um, but I think that's really the linchpin there. And the think...
0: semi-final, you mean? So, that's, so I, meant, I meant
1: the Nations League finals as a ah, yes. collective thing, but you'll note. Super I not just...
0: confusing
1: yeah, naming yeah. system we got you'll, there. You'll note I just left the S off for like no reason at all other than I got distracted by chess being chess up up front to my left but i think geo is going to be the linchpin with where we see everybody else go if greg places him centrally i would imagine aronson and zendejas will flank balligan if he decides to put him out wide i wouldn't be surprised if we maybe move a Yunus musa up to that number 10 role or move an aronson inside or i mean heck i'm sure zendejas can do a job there um I mean, other than that, I mean, the roster's perfectly fine. It stinks that weigh-in Pulisic won't be able to play, um, mainly because that's just fewer matches that this A group gets to play as a unit. But then there's also the flip side, the flip side argument of like, well, you never know who's going to be available for a competition, so this could be a great chance for different players to play with each other for the first time, see how everybody gels. And now there's something on the line that's important. So I think there's going to be a little bit of added juice for that game in Austin. Um, I'm assuming we'll be all but advanced to the nation's league finals after those 90 minutes, which then leads me to wonder how Greg's going to handle that return leg in Trinidad was believe Tuesday Thursday, Tuesday, I think Thursday, Monday that
0: sounds right. I should have looked that up, but yeah, yeah. It, do-
1: it doesn't really matter that much. Um, I mean, other than that, I mean it's a it's a great roster, as as I feel like each of each roster has been in each of these three windows. Um, kind of stinks that Matt Turner's losing time at Nottingham Forest, but maybe he can find some form uh, in over these two legs. Who knows?
0: The good news with Pulisic and Waya is that they're both minor injuries. They're just kind of knocks so that they're taking precautions on. So they shouldn't be too serious to be out for extended periods of time. So that's good. Let me pitch you my starting 11 for this game. I would stick Reyna on the wing. like Like your point. I think you just need him on the field somewhere. And I think he's at his best as a Cam, as a number 10. I think he still provides such a high level of playmaking, of attacking, and he can cut in really well. So I would stick him on the right, put Ballo up top as our number nine, put Aronson on the left. I'll go Tillman as a number 10 with McKinney and Musa behind him. Jedi left back. I'm going to go Tim Ream and CCV. I think they're the two center backs who have the best form right now, just getting – Consistent minutes like Richards just hasn't been playing a ton. I like Miles Robinson, he has not been great lately. Like, he was not great in the Columbus series for Atlanta. I think since he got that injury before the World Cup, has not been the same guy, which sucks. Like, I hope he can get back to that form and maybe he'll move to Europe and you know play for a in the Belgian Pro League or something. I don't know, um, but for me, it's Riemann CCV right now. And then obviously, Dest is going to put out a mixtape of his highlights on his Instagram reel, regardless of what happens <laughs> and Turner in Turner and goals. So that's my starting 11. Then I think that way you can, you can bring on Pepe as a super sub. You got Paredes and Zendejas as wing depth, you know, if Aaron or if you want to shift it around and I, I like, I like pushing McKenny up as a 10 in case Tillman isn't playing well. I think Musa, especially in this matchup can do a job as, as the holy midfielder. So it'll be interesting. I mean, it'll be interesting to see if, like if we get out to an early lead, how we shift around, how we rotate, you know, what problem? I mean, I mean, we shouldn't completely overlook Trinidad and Tobago. I mean, they played very well, and with significant heart to win their group and advance to this point. But uh, like you said, this we with our C plus team, we beat them six 0 So with the A team, we
1: should really easily handle our business in this one. Hope so. I mean, it's I think it's adva- like get yourself to a point where you're all but advanced after the first leg. And then you have the freedom to choose what is important to you in that return leg. Is it getting the top seed? Is it getting out of there healthy? Is it pushing the players to really get a result on the road that they don't often get? Like, is this a two-legged affair where where the goal is to really flex the muscle of U.S. soccer. I don't, know. I don't know. Should be fun to watch, hopefully.
0: My dream is that former D.C. United great Kevin Paredes gets a hat trick in Port of Spain.
1: D- do we see the other Aronson? I don't know. It's a good and question. Would, and, and I think my other question is, would the other Aronson be best served being on being with the Olympic roster right now? Because they also mm. have a camp this month. I mean, and I get without, probably, <laughs> I get without Pulisic and Weya, like you just naturally need depth there to fill out a 23. Yeah. But even still, is it, <laughs> I hate to say this, is it worth bringing in like a Paul Ariola or a sure. Jesus Ferreira for a camp like this and allowing those younger guys, like Paredes included? To be with that Olympic group to build chemistry for August mm-hmm.
0: It's a good question that I don't really have an answer for. yeah um, I mean, i'm t- I'm also just this is not your point, but I'm just excited for the Olympics. It's so nice to be back in the Olympics and, and have me... like the level of youth talent that we do. yeah, like I want Jack McGlynn to score nine hundred goals against. Mali, and I forget who else has qualified somewhere, like Romania or whatever. Anyways, we do have three other quarterfinals going on in the CONCACAF Nations League. Mexico versus Honduras. They have not played each other in this competition, but they did just play in the Gold Cup group stage of the summer, where Mexico won 4-0 with a brace from Luis Romo. Mexico were finalists in this competition in the inaugural run. Uh, Honduras were semi-finalists that same year. That's their Best finish, respectively. Also have Canada versus Jamaica. They have also not played each other in this competition. Canada were finalists this summer. Jamaica is making their knockout stage debut. Uh, the last Gold Cup matchup between these two teams was in 2017 in the quarterfinals when Jamaica won 2-1. And this last World Cup qualifying round in the Ocho, they played twice. Scoreless draw in Kingston. And then Canada won 4-0 in Toronto. Then we got Costa Rica and Panama, the marquee rivalry in CONCACAF. These two played each other in the group stage last year. Panama won twice to win the group. They also faced each other in the group stage of the Gold Cup this summer. Panama won 2-1 to one with a goal from DC United legend Jose Fajardo. The one recent advantage that Costa Rica has in this rivalry is that they did qualify for the 2022 World Cup, which Panama did not, finishing fifth in the Ocho. And that round robin, they played to a scoreless draw in Panama City. And Brian Ruiz scored the long goal in Costa Rica won one 0 in San Jose. What are your thoughts on the other three?
1: Um. So one thing that I actually find really fascinating is the U.S. is the only one of the four seeded teams to be playing the first leg at home. So Mexico will travel uh. to Honduras. Canada will travel to Jamaica. And Costa Rica will travel to Panama. Um, I, I'm assuming Mexico will easily handle Honduras. I think they've actually found some level of better form over the last couple months. Um, I think they had a really rocky start to the gold cup. I actually think they carried the momentum from that win against Haiti into the nation's league. Um, but I, outside of maybe pushing Mexico for 45 minutes in San Pedro Sula, in that first leg, I would assume Mexico will find a way to take care of business and get a couple wins there. Um, The highlight is, is Costa Rica, Panama. I mean, this to me is the headliner for this round. Um, I think the key for Panama is going to be getting a multi-goal lead going into that match in San Jose. Um, I, I, I do think Panama is the better team but they they can't i don't think they can afford to either play the away goals game or go in even into San Jose because i think that environment in that second leg is going to be disgustingly raucous um i'm assuming it will still find a way to be hot sticky humid and gross even in november down there <laughs> um and so if Panama can go into that match with a multi-goal lead, I think they advance easily. If they don't, even given the state of Costa Rican soccer, I, I still, I still like Costa Rica to advance. I actually think because they, they get the advantage of that second leg being at home. Um, and then Canada Jamaica mm. should also be popcorn, but Canada's in such dis- – it'll be kind of like – actually, I don't know what it'll kind of be like. I just think it's going to be maybe not the best overall performance because Canada is in complete disarray, and I still don't know how to trust Jamaica being able to take that next step and like really insert themselves as a top four or five team in the region. And so I'm assuming – that that matchup will have a ton of chaos, but I don't know if it's going to be like maybe the most aesthetically pleasing set of games you've ever seen.
0: See, I think that is a great opportunity for Jamaica to take advantage of that. Like this is Jamaica's chance to really make some noise. To your point, Canada federations in disarray, John Herdman, the men's coach left to take the Toronto FC job. Currently, Maro Biello is the interim head coach. Played almost two decades for a pre-MLS Montreal Impact. Quick sidebar. I hate that they changed their name to like CF Montreal now instead of Montreal Impact. Montreal Impact is an awesome name. That's so cool. What are we doing? Anyways. Yeah, I'm just gonna uh, let you ha- die on that hill. And I will. I absolutely will die on the hill. Um, he also got a handful of Canada caps in his career was the impact manager for a couple years before joining Canada Soccer. Like I said, the federation is like on the verge of bankruptcy. They went a couple windows just like without even playing matches because they couldn't afford to. Meanwhile, Jamaica, I thought was pretty dominant in their group stage. They we've talked about before. This is probably the most talented they've ever been with. You know, Damari Gray and Leon Bailey, D. Cordovia, reed Mike Antonio. ever wants to show up for the national team. And comparatively to the rest of the region, like Head coaching-wise, they're kind of more stable than a lot of places. Uh, Heimer Hall-Grimson, uh, the who, you might remember him from coaching Iceland of the 2018 World Cup. He's been at the helm there since 2022. I think this is Jamaica's chance to pull one over on Canada. For Costa Rica, Panama, I agree. That's that's really the, the exciting one. Panama's just, just such a well-oiled machine under Thomas Christensen, their head coach. Clearly the better team. They should have gotten the bye to the quarterfinals, but CONCACAF rankings are dumb. I mean, Godoy and Kereskia in the midfield. You got uh, Davis and Barcenas as wingbacks. I, I love that team so much. Costa Rica, I mean, got gifted the bye. So they just hired Gustavo Alfaro as their head coach. He's an Argentinian. He's been all over the world in his managerial career including Boca Juniors. We're going to talk about them later in round robin, but most recently led Ecuador to the 2022 World Cup. So that's an interesting hire for them. I'm excited to see how that goes out, how that plays out. And I will echo your thoughts. I think Mexico has no problem with Honduras. I think they'll kind of cakewalk through that one.
1: I will say, and, and this, the, the, the doofy format and how we're deciding who plays each other in the semis, I really think can impact what the matchups end up being in Arlington. because to me, if you're a Jamaica or Canada or a Panama or Costa Rica, like I think you need to be looking at this as an opportunity where if you get two wins and a Mexico or the us slips up, you could there is a a possibility that you could avoid both of those nations in the semifinals
0: yep you
1: know what i'm is... saying and 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 yes the format is dumb but as i've said this entire competition those second legs will have so many chaotic elements to pay attention to it'll it'll be like the fedex cup in golf back in the day where like you're doing like like long division and algorithms to figure out. Well, if the winner gets this many points and this person finishes here, here's what the final standings will be. That's what's gonna. It's it's literally gonna be like that meeting from It's Always Sunny, where the guy's just like his hairs all over the place and he's pointing at the board. That's what those second legs are gonna be like. Which yes is is stupid, but is chaotic and and entertaining. And, and this is why I keep you
0: around because I can't wrap my head around. That format. Uh, who is the Victor Hovland of CONCACAF?
1: Oh. I think it's Karaskia, just because of how much we talk about him. <laughs> Fair enough. Any other thoughts
0: on Nations League before we go to the NWSL?
1: I'm uber excited. I feel like I've been excited for this round specifically yeah, since August. When this BS was announced that this is how it was going to be.
0: It's fun to have the U.S. playing matches that mean something again. Correct. Always, always love that.
1: You mean you don't want to play Oman for some reason? I mean, you know me. I would like
0: us to find the most obscure nations we can possibly play just for my own sicko amusement. But in terms of like the good of U.S. soccer, this is much better. Correct. We should play like Sri Lanka next window. No. Anyways. Shut up. We have crowned a champion in the NWSL, and in fact, we played the semifinals since the last time we hopped on the mics. Gotham FC and Portland Thorns were scoreless after a very rainy regulation, but an extra time in the 107th minute. Christy Mewis, who played at the World Cup this summer for the U.S., brought down a ball at the top of the box with a deft touch that played in Katie Stengel, who won the inaugural NWSL Challenge Cup with the Houston Dash in 2020. And she ripped a beautiful curling strike that found the upper 90 to give the Bats a 1-0 win. And the other semifinal, O.L. Reigns' Veronica Latsko, a Challenge Cup winner with Houston in 2020, and an NWSL Shield winner last year with Reign, looked to play in a cross from the right wing in the 47th minute, and it just floated over Kalen Sheridan, an Olympic gold medalist with Canada, and tucked inside the far post for the only goal of the match, as the Reign defeated the top-seeded San Diego Wave. That set up a Reign versus Gotham final, a matchup of two teams that have never won an NWSL championship, and a matchup of two U.S. women's national team legends playing their final professional matches, neither of whom, across their storied careers, had won an NWSL championship either. Winner Megan Rapino for OL Reign and defender Allie Krieger for Gotham. Right out of the gate, and like the worst possible scenario, Rapino went down with a non-contact injury, and in her own words, quote, Fucking yeeted my Achilles and quote. Mm. So despite the tragic end to a career, we will always appreciate her sense of humor, the absolute legend. <laughs> Gotham took the lead in the 24th minute. It was oh, it was hilarious. I and
1: forgot it, she... uh, I had literally <laughs> like wiped that from my memory from the weekend. She also she also <laughs> I, <laughs> excuse I, me. I um, saw the quote also... on Twitter and went, Oh, that's so Megan Rapino. And then she also about. said that
0: that <laughs> happening was proof that God didn't exist, which made my atheist ass laugh. Um, Just absolute legend. Meg Rapinoe, always mm. worth a soundbite there. <laughs> Gotham took the lead in the 24th minute as Midge Purse, the winner who helped the U.S. women's national team qualify for both the World Cup and the Olympics, eliminated three defenders along the right wing, got to the end line, and cut a ball back for Olympic bronze medalist and American World Cup star Lynn Williams who scored the easy tap-in. Rain responded five minutes later as Bethany Balser, who is exactly one U.S. Women's National Team cap and was the 2019 NWSL Rookie of the Year, after playing for NAIA Spring I, Arbor
1: University. I, I have a connection there. Two of my cousins went to Spring Arbor. Did they really? Tabitha and Sarah went to, went to Spring, spring Arbor. Yes, they did. They've got a really good teaching college. Fascinating.
0: Um, spring Arbor, please sponsor us. We're just giving you all a, kinds of It is there. a
1: gorgeous campus on the outskirts of East Lansing, Michigan. Yep. There we go.
0: Well, uh, arguably their most famous alum, Bethany Balser, played a through ball to spring 2019 World Cup star and champion Rose Lavelle on a breakaway she calmly slotted the ball into the net with a left-footed finish. In the 38th minute, Purse hit the post with a header, and the rebound went to former UCLA Bruins great Delaney Sheehan, who rocked a shot off the crossbar. Gotham did find the go-ahead goal in the first half stoppage time, as Purse whipped in a corner kick just beneath the penalty spot, and Esther Gonzalez, who just won the World Cup with Spain, snapped a header into the back of the net to make it 2-1 Gotham. We ended the game on a really strange moment as Gotham goalkeeper Mandy Hott, a Virginia Tech Hokies great, stood at the top of her box to grab a 50-50 ball, but reached over the line to do so. Even though her feet were in the box, her the ball was completely outside of it. And so after a VAR review, received a red card for denying a goal scoring opportunity. Gotham was out of substitutes. So one of my favorite moments in soccer happened and a field player In this case, former Alabama Crimson Tide great defender Neely Martin had to put on the goalie gloves and see the game out. Lavelle's free kick hit the wall, and Rain weren't able to get a shot on goal, and Gotham did win their first ever NWSL championship. This was Gotham's first ever NWSL final appearance. The furthest they had advanced previously was the 2013 semifinals, when they were still known as Sky Blue FC, and only four teams made it and they lost to the Western New York Flash 2-0. It's worth noting that Sky Blue FC did win the inaugural WPS championship in 2009. That was the second tried in American Pro Women's Soccer League after the WUSA in the early 2000s. They beat the Los Angeles Sol, spelled S-O-L like Spanish for sun, 1-0 in the final with the winning goal coming from three-time gold medalist and World Cup champion Heather O'Reilly. While O.L. Reign have three NWSL Shield titles to their name, they have still never won the league championship, previously finishing runner-up in 2014 and 15 when they were known as the Seattle Reign, losing both finals to the now-defunct FC Kansas City, not to be confused with the currently operating Kansas City Current. There will be a quiz on American pro women's soccer franchises at the end of the podcast. We've talked about the legacy of Megan Rapinoe on this podcast before. But Allie Krieger has a massive legacy of her own. First of all, she is a product of Prince William County, Virginia, which is the northern Virginia county that also produced both hosts of this Dawn podcast. She graduated from Forest Park High School, go Bruins, and was the Gatorade Virginia Player of the Year. She played four years of college soccer at Penn State, where she was the 03 Big Ten Freshman of the Year, the 06 Big Ten Defensive Player of the Year a two-time All-American, and helped guide the Nittany Alliance to a 2006 Big Ten Championship and four NCAA tournament appearances, including two quarterfinal runs. At the club level, she won the 2008 UEFA Champions League title with Frankfurt, has been an NWSL Best Eleven honoree for the Washington Spirit, the Orlando Pride, and Gotham. And of course, she was an integral part of the U.S. Women's National Team that won back-to-back World Cups in 2015 and 2019, and now ends her career as an NWSL champion. She's a versatile defender, having played across the back line, but her, moment, her best moments came as a right back, where she was among the elite in the world. In addition to being a beloved teammate and leader, shout out to Ali Krieger. Dom, your thoughts on the NWSL final?
1: I'm almost mad you didn't mention this. This this was uh, Lynn Williams's like fourth NWSL title. Ooh. Good note. Yeah. Lynn all uh, Lynn Williams
0: does is win NWCL <laughs>
1: Championships. And I think she's played in four finals, and I think she scored in three or all of them. Which makes it even better, I think. Yeah. Absolute I want winner. Lynn
0: Williams to start for the US, Yeah, I'm aware basically
1: of that. every time we play soccer now. I'm aware of that. Um I don't know. It was great, great playoffs, I think, overall. I think the semis in the final had a little bit more oomph to them than the quarters did. Um, It's been funny following both the playoffs of NWSL and MLS, because in the job transition and the move, like I went from not really being able to follow either league that closely to like playing catch up and having to learn about these players on the fly. And I think this podcast and our conversations honestly just make me excited to actually follow the NWSL from the jump. And I believe they just signed a new TV deal as a league that will last for multiple years that I think involves either ESPN or Fox in some capacity to get more. Yeah. I think it's a mix of Um, yeah. So that's big time for the league. I know it's growing pretty rapidly. Yeah. Um, yeah, not too much analysis overall, other than what you gave there. But um, the league's growing. It's a great watch. It's a great product that's honestly getting better, not even by the year, but it honestly feels like by the game. Um, your best players are younger, getting younger and younger, um, and it, it just feels like a feeder for the U.S. Women's National Team. So if you're a fan of the U.S. Women's National Team, you should probably be watching – the NWSL, because all of the players that you're going to see at the next World Cup that might be in the U.S., might not be, are probably playing in an NWSL right now.
0: Let me give you Lynn Williams' resume really quick. Please. Four-time NWSL champion. In 2016, she won with the Western New York Flash, may they rest in peace, when she was also the MVP and Golden boot winner that year. Won two championships with North Carolina Courage. Three NWSL Shields with them. Just won this one. Olympic bronze medalist. um, Was a best 11 this year as well. She was also a Herman Trophy finalist in 2014 for what college, Dom?
1: Oh, I have no idea.
0: Pepperdine Waves.
1: My goodness.
0: Mid-majors forever. Uh, I love... Gotham's front three. Lynn Williams on the left, Midge Purse on the right, and then Esther Gonzalez in the middle. That's quite the attacking trio.
1: It's also nuts to me that Lynn Williams scores as regularly as she does without being like a true or regular number nine. Yeah. Like that's very hard to do from that position.
0: Oh, yeah. I also, is Midge Purse playing her way onto the Olympic team?
1: I think so. She was balling out. She was like the MVP so.
0: of this final
1: match. I think so. Um, I mean, I'd love to have a f- full-time coach right now, which I guess we do have a coach for the U.S. Women's National Team, but she's not going to like actually take over till May, which seems terrible. I
0: hate that. Like, I like the hire. Emma Hayes, who's currently mm-hmm. the Chelsea manager, has been very successful for them, has made them, like, the best club team in the world. Like, the U.S. US soccer, you know, ponied up and went and got, like, the best possible candidate they could. But, like, yeah. Why, why are we waiting? Do we not have enough money to tell chelsea to fuck off
1: like well i mean the thing is is like well then like what position does this put like twilight kilgore in so is she now the manager (laughs) through the calendar year is she gonna manage at the gold cup are we gonna bring emma hayes in to coach at the gold cup and take a pause from chelsea and then send her back i mean you can't announced anything officially yet this is all just reporting you can do that in fifa where you can be an international manager and a manager at the club level. Not sure how that's going to work in real life, but. I have concerns. I have a lot of concerns. Um, Like, am I losing
0: my mind caring about the Olympics? Like, I want to win the Olympics. and I feel like U.S. soccer. I
1: I don't think (laughs) I don't think you are, but I agree. Like, I feel like. The federation as a whole is just kind of punting on the Olympics for whatever reason. When I feel like for the last decade, like the holy grail of women's soccer has been trying to do the World Cup Olympic double. Right. Because it's like the hardest thing on the planet to do, it seems like.
0: I would like to do it at some point. I don't think we ever have. Have we? We have not. I don't think I will really Um.
1: Yeah, weird times there. But maybe we'll know more nervous. in December when we play China for some reason.
0: But we, we are playing playing two random games against China, which is always a good use of your time, I guess. Uh, any other thoughts on NBSL before we talk about MLS?
1: Nah, I'm I'm stoked for 2024, truly.
0: The MLS playoffs are happening um, in this format that we hate. I don't even know if either of us really know how to. the The, the best of three format just takes all of the juice out of it for me.
1: Well, um, soccer, soccer can't be played like. I think you touched on it in the last episode, and we've talked about it at length off the pod. Like, soccer's just not – like, like okay. Like, in the NBA and NHL and baseball, like, you almost need series because, like, the way games are played over, a, like, a long stretch of time changes game to game, right? Yeah. Each game has its own separate trend, and then putting a series of those games together – actually gives you the final result of who should advance. Soccer just doesn't really work that way to me, right? Like how championships are won everywhere in soccer is either over a very large sample size or a very small sample size, not multiple small sample sizes. See what I'm saying? Like you either do a one-off or a two-legged match where both games create one thing or you find the result where everybody plays everybody and the best team moves on and wins. This thing of playing a game that matters and then none of that result carrying over into the next match is just so against what soccer is like everywhere else that it just loses all steam for me. Sorry to completely cut you off before you got into any of the matches, but anyway.
0: No, I agree. Um, I think we'll keep it brief on this one. Talk briefly through the bracket. So it was chalk all the way through, except for St. Louis City, lost in two games of Sporting Kansas City there. the Dom was expansion right. team.
1: Dom was right. Yeah. <laughs>
0: i you have your moment there. Um, all the other higher seeds won. So, Sporting Kansas City will play Houston Dynamo in the semifinal. Dynamo beat RSL in three. The last two games were 1-1 ties that went to penalty kicks. RSL won the first one, the fourth game, three, and then Houston won the second one. Just a weird sentence to say. Uh, Seattle won in three over Dallas. Albert Rusnak scored the lone goal in on the 1-0 win in game three. LAFC beat Vancouver Whitecaps in two. I want to go back to that game because there was some there was some calf in that one. <laughs> Cincy, uh, top seed in the East. They beat New York Red Bulls in two games. They will play Philadelphia Union. They beat New England Revolution in two games. Columbus and Atlanta, I will give credit, had a pretty crazy uh, three-game series. Columbus won 2-0. Then Atlanta won 4-2 in Atlanta. And Columbus at home won 4-2 to win it. Just a lot of goals going on there. I will say I called Darlington Nagby being an X-factor. He scored the the opening goal for Columbus last night. And then Orlando uh, had a pair of 1-0 wins over Nashville. So one trend here. So five of these games were finished in two. The three series that went three games, the home team, won every single game like no one won a road game Mm -hmm. so like the intrigue that this format was supposed to produce never really in my mind materialized i saw like a lot of the commentators who you know get their checks from apple so like i get it like ah you know this format you know it 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 forces teams to go forward and like i guess but not really
1: um so so Matthew Doyle tweeted, I th- I think it was in the middle of the game twos after FC Dallas beat Seattle and a fan commented like, Hey, like, what are the chances that Dallas actually finishes this off and does the job? Like it was a really electric win last night and they looked like the better team. And he just kind of went, oh, oh, hang on, calm down. Like, like over the history of the MLS playoffs, the home team wins, Matt, like its individual matches, like close to 80% of the time or something ridiculous. And he said that because of that, this format worried him because it's so difficult for road teams to win that he just didn't see very many of the lower seated, higher numbered seated teams being able to advance and like you said i think we saw that i mean it's chalk all the way through except for sporting kansas city who beat an expansion team yep and like and that's why i think the format from
0: last year where it was just single elimination and the higher seed hosts was really good because it really rewarded teams that were good in the regular season which should hold weight and it made each match and each goal and each moment have such an urgency to it. Yep. that this just doesn't have um... I also
1: I will also rebuttal, though and say I think the two-legged ties create even more urgency especially if you allow those higher seated teams to host that first leg because then you're putting the better team on on its back foot immediately right and you you're, you're going to have a but I will say if you're going to do two legged ties in MLS I think you have to do away with away goals. Just get rid of the away yeah. goal and I'm just do it, just do it straight up and just if it's tied after 180 minutes we'll go to extra time if it is still tied regardless of whether team scored or not after the additional 30 minutes then we'll go to PKs. And whoever's hosting the second leg will have the advantage of being at home for overtime and for PKs. That to me, that is the best way to do it for me. And like, like, I think we even touched on it last time, like do it NFL style. Top six teams make it from each conference Top two get a bye to the conference semis. Whether you do two legged ties in the first round or one legged, I mean, is pick your poison. But and also it is taken forever. It is the MLS regular season ended 22 days ago, and we just got done with the first round of the playoffs.
0: And then all these teams are going to have like a three week break until they play again because of the international window. Yep. And that sucks. Yep. There were. So there's two games I want to talk about a little bit in depth. One is game two of Cincinnati Red Bulls. So Cincinnati won 3-0 in the opening game. Second game was 1-1 after regulation. So through the entire first half, FC Cincinnati looked like the better side. But in the 45th minute, Elias Manoel won a ball deep in the attacking third, played a ball across the box, Sorry, my Google Doc is uh messing up here. Really good podcasting going on. All right, played a ball across the box that Cincy half-heartedly cleared, fell to Frankie Amaya, who was drafted by Cincinnati after he was an All-Pac-12 selection at, U- at UCLA and a U.S. International at the U-20 level, then traded to Red Bulls in 2021. His shot from the top of the box was deflected and fell into the lap of former Wisconsin Badgers great Tom Barlow, who poked it past Roman Celentano to give New York a 1-0 lead right before halftime. In the 75th minute, a half-hearted Red Bulls free kick gets blocked by Brandon Vasquez, Gold Cup legend, and falls to Gabon international Aaron Bupenza, who plays a clever touch to feed Lucho Acosta at midfield. As Acosta ran at the Red Bulls' back line, Bupenza made an overlapping run and received the ball back at the top of the box, tucking a shot inside the far post to tie the match at 1-1. So while since he had much of the possession in the first half, the Red Bulls had really had the better of the second, and this really came against the run of play. So we go to a shootout. We get through the five rounds. John Tolkien actually has a chance to win it in the fifth round, claims it off the post. Cincinnati's first penalty taker in the Sun death period was Matt Miazga, who I think just was announced as Defender of the Year, a CONCACAF Gold Cup and Nations League champion with the U.S., who started his professional career with Red Bulls before a move to Chelsea, where he was mostly loaned out to other clubs. He had already added a level of heat. And this this game is happening in New York, by the way, or technically New Jersey. He had already added a level of heat to the proceedings by mocking Manuel after a perceived dive, then picked up a yellow card for yelling at the ref after the final whistle and regulation. He converted his penalty in front of the Red Bull supporter groups gave them a very prolonged and very sarcastic heart hands and blew them kisses, which then immediately earned him a second yellow card. Let me ask you this is man. the premier shit in MLS.
1: Yeah. He's also suspended for the next match. He's not the smartest <laughs> cookie in the bunch. Like what are you doing? <laughs> you're like your team's best player. And now you're just not going to play against Philly in the next round. What are you doing? But he proved a point against those Red no, Bull supporters. Sure,
0: sure. Congratulations. Uh, Coronel saved center back Yerson Mosquera's attempt in the ninth round, but Red Bulls couldn't convert as Surgeon Goma's shot went high. D.C. United legend and Venezuelan international Junior Moreno deposited a beautiful penalty into the bottom right corner of the tenth round. Then Indiana Hoosiers great Roman Salentano came up with a diving save on Andres Reyes as Cincinnati wrapped up the series two games advanced to the conference semifinals for the second straight season. The other beautiful CONCACAF moment was LAFC beat Vancouver 1-0. They scored pretty early on. Uh, Golden boot winner, Denny bawanga just doing what he does, just scoring banners. Uh, LAFC mostly just kind of saw it out from there in, in stoppage time. So Vancouver is throwing everybody, including goalkeeper uh, Yohei Takawaka forward looking to pull off an equalizer off a corner kick, try and force penalties. LAFC heads the initial ball away. But as a Vancouver player rushes on to meet the 50-50 ball, the ref inadvertently steps into his path and just absolutely levels him. I mean, mean, puts him on his ass. (laughs) And in the ensuing chaos from that moment, LAFC goes on the break with an empty net. Carlos Vela, you might remember him from Arsenal and the Mexico national team, he carries it into the attacking third and lays it off to Buanga, who puts it into the empty net. But in a super rare instance for the offside rule, because 99% of the time the goalkeeper is the last man back. This was actually called back after a VAR review, because there was only one Vancouver defender who had tracked back quickly enough to be in front of them. Like Normally the goalie's there and you, like, you have to have two in front of you, but they only had one because they just like forgot about the goalie not being there that significantly bails out the referee because the goal gets called back for offside while this bar review is happening. Vancouver head coach, Vanny Sartini who had been motherfucking any ref within earshot. The entire match already comes absolutely unglued understandably. And then deservedly gets a red card for his antics. And so as he's being escorted off the field, he's like walking along the edge of the pitch and just like kicking at advertising boards and just like a stereotypical display of like Italian emotion. And just like giving the hand signal, he's like walking across the field, just objectively hilarious. Um, And to me, that just sums up kind of where we're at with this playoffs.
1: Uh, I don't have any final thoughts other than I'm really excited for the next round. Uh, no, I think
0: the next turn is going to be legitimately really entertaining. My only actual analysis and not just laughing at shithousery, Nashville getting shut out in back-to-back matches. And they I think it was like six out of seven of their last matches were shutouts. Not good enough for them. Specifically, having Sam Surge be on a designated player contract. In the regular season and playoffs, he had two goals in 11 games. Not good enough. Like, I'll has to have more offensive production, and they need, if you're going to spend DP money, either a legit strike partner or a number 10 with Hani Mukhtar. You can't have a guy that talented and not score goals.
1: Do you think there was some level of a hangover from making it to the League's Cup final? They well,
0: didn't win. You don't get to have a hangover when you don't win.
1: I mean... I'm, I I guess I'm not talking about a hangover, but like putting in that much effort for a competition in the middle of the season that has nothing to do with MLS and then having to find a way to get healthy, get rest, kind of put them behind the eight ball and put them in that match to begin with against arguably a much better Orlando side. Orlando is very good.
0: I like Orlando. Uh, I did call Ivana Ingulo, who scored the winner in the second game. If we're gonna, if you're gonna get Sporting Kansas City credit, I'm gonna get calling Ivana Ingulo credit. If anything, for me, the Leagues Cup final and that run to me shows what Nashville could have done, and mm-hmm. makes it more frustrating that they didn't. You had enough time to recover. It happened three months yep. ago.
1: I don't know. Well, I'm excited for the next round, though.
0: Yeah, I am too. I I think once we, now that we're in like a format that makes sense, single elimination, we kind of got rid of the teams that don't really need to be there. Yep. It's going to be good stuff. Is it time for round Robin? I got a banner of a round Robin. I think it's time for some stuff, Andy. We added another qualifier to the 2024 CONCACAF Champions Cup since the last time we talked. In the CONCACAF Caribbean Cup semifinals, after going down 1-0 to MoCA FC of the Dominican Republic in the first leg, our beloved S.V. Robin Hood from Suriname managed to find a stoppage time winner from Franklin Singo- Singo de Cromo. I apologize to our Surinamese friends. That's not my native language, but we'll get there because I'm all in on S.V. Robin Hood. They tied it on aggregate 1-1, sent to us to penalties where Robin Hood prevailed 3-2. This will actually be their 14th CONCACAF Champions Cup appearance, but their first since 1994, which is the year I was born. They've made four finals, most recently in 1983, when they lost to Mexican side Atlante, who today are in the second division in Mexico. SV Robin Hood will play Jamaica's Cavalier FC in the final a reminder that the winner of that match gets a bye to the Champions Cup round of 16. The third-place match in the Caribbean Cup, with a final Champions Cup berth on the line, is now set between MoCA FC and Jamaica's Harbour View. We also now have our final set in the CONCACAF Central American Cup, as Real Esteli of Nicaragua carried a 1-0 aggregate advantage over Independiente of Panama into the second leg, and by virtue of a back-and-forth 2-2 draw, Real Esteli advances to the Central American Cup final, where they will play Alajuelense from Costa Rica. All three of these CONCACAF like sub-region club finals will take place with a first leg at the end of November and a second leg in early December. We play a championship in the USL Championship, the second division of American club soccer. Uh, in the semifinals, so the Eastern Conference final, Charleston Battery beat Louisville City 2-1. Arturo Rodriguez scored a free kick Boehner, then a converted penalty from Sierra Leone. International Augie Williams gave Battery the lead. Uh, Louisville got a late red card, but managed to pull back a goal on a corner kick. Charleston advanced to the final. Former SMU Mustangs great Emil Cuejo scored a Boehner in stoppage time to win it for Phoenix Rising over Sacramento Republic in the Western Conference final. Hit a knuckling shot from over 20 yards out. That is the second straight round that he scored a dramatic game winner. Charleston Battery and Phoenix Rising had never met in either the USL Championship playoffs or the US Open Cup. They did play each other to a 1-1 draw on the opening day of this USL Championship season on March 11th. Nick Mark Markinick, a former Northern Illinois Huskies great, who was on FC Cincinnati last year, opened the scoring for Charleston in the 36th minute with a nice first-time finish on a cutback. On the 90th minute, Swedish center back John Stenberg headed in across to tie the match for Phoenix and send it to extra time. This match had one of the weirdest penalty shootouts I have ever seen. Charleston went up 2 to nothing after the first two rounds, following two Phoenix misses. The battery then proceeded to miss the rest of their penalties, while Phoenix scored the rest of theirs to win 3-2 in the shootout. Phoenix keeper Rocco Rios Novo and Argentina Youth International made two saves to help seal Phoenix Rising's first-ever title in club history. It was an all-North Carolina affair in the USL League One final, the championship game of the American Third Division, between North Carolina FC and Charlotte Independence. We went to extra time after a scoreless regulation, and Charlotte's Hecker, Hector Acosta found the net first on a header from a corner kick in the 99th minute. But North Carolina answered in the 111th as David Garcia, a center back, received a free kick in the box, held up the ball like holding off a defender while juggling, then laid it off to Raheem Summersall, former, you ready for this one? Florida Gulf Coast Eagle Great and a member of the Saint Kitts and Nevis national team, who started all three matches of this summer's Gold Cup for the Sugar Boys. This is where I need the air horn sound effect. Love the Sugar Boys. Somersault ripped a shot that bounced off the crossbar, off the goalie's back, and in to tie it at 1-1. Technically, statistically, it's an own goal. In my heart, that's a goal for the Sugar Boys. In the shootout, North Carolina keeper Brooks Thompson made a diving save to deny Joel Johnson. <laughs> there it is, baby. Hell yeah. And then Luis Arriaga scored the winning penalty. This is the first championship in North Carolina FC's history. The club formerly known as the Carolina Railhawks. See my previous point about getting rid of badass names to go with just FC. Uh, They're actually going to be competing in the USL Championship next season in a bit of like pseudo promotion. In USL League One's fifth season of existence, North Carolina is the fifth different team to win a championship. Joining North Texas SC who now compete in MLS Next Pro which is technically also the third division and functions as just an MLS reserve league also joined Greenville Triumph Union Omaha and South Georgia Tormenta and finally we have to talk about the insane Copa Libertadores final i know you're excited for this one the oh. Copa Libertadores is the South American version of Champions League and is one of the oldest and most storied competitions in the world this year the final was contested between Boca Juniors, the Argentinian club who are one of two giant Buenos Aires rivals along with River Plate and have 6 Libertadores titles to their name, and Fluminense, the Brazilian club from Rio de Janeiro, considered one of the big 12 clubs in the country, seeking their first ever Libertadores final. This match was held at the Maracanã, one of the most iconic stadiums in the world, that hosted the World Cup final in 1950 and 2014 as well as the opening and closing ceremonies for the 2016 Olympics. It's the home stadium for the Rio de Janeiro clubs, and has seen some absurd attendance numbers north of 150,000 in its history. Modern renovations have brought the capacity like, back down to earth, but it's still massive and loud and functionally served as a home match for Fluminense. This game featured some star power, even for those who may not follow South American soccer regularly. Boca's lineup featured Edinson Cavani, one of the greatest Uruguayan players of his generation. He helped them win the 2011 Copa America, scored goals at three different World Cups while playing for clubs like Napoli, Manchester United, and PSG, where he won a boatload of trophies and finished as a Champions League runner-up. Fluminense's lineup featured Marcelo, the Brazilian left-back, returning to his boyhood club after a storied career, Real Madrid. In his prime, he was among the world's elite He helped Real win five UEFA Champions League titles and four Club World Cups among a laundry list of domestic trophies and also guided Brazil to the 2013 Confederations Cup Championship. The match itself was full of action and drama, and Fluminense opened the scoring in the 36th minute after German Cano, the only Argentinian on the Brazilian club's roster, he's a journeyman who played for both Pachuca and León in Mexico in his career. He finished off a nice team move with a first-time finish. This was a chippy one uh, with, at one point, players straight-up wrestling each other at midfield as play went on. Uh, Fluminense had a penalty shot ignored, and then in the 72nd minute, with the referee not yet allowing a Fluminense player to return to the pitch after being evaluated for injury, Boca tied the match off the left foot of Peruvian international right-back Luis Advincula. In extra time, Fluminense regained the lead after a thundering half volley from John Kennedy, who, to my knowledge, has no relation to the 35th president of the United States. Absolute banner, though. At a moment filled with emotion and adrenaline, John Kennedy sprinted past security guards and barricades and jumped into the crowd to celebrate with the fans. <laughs> And in a competition that has a history of fan violence, this decision earned him a yellow card, his second of the game. So moments after scoring the biggest goal in his club's history, he got a red card to take his club (laughs) down to 10 men. That evened out later in extra time as players swarmed around the ref to argue about a potential handball in the box. Colombian international defender Frank Fabra slapped a Fluminense player in the face, like right in front of the ref and earned a straight red, evening the match out of 10 men apiece. Fluminense hit the post later in extra time, but it wasn't needed, as they saw the 2-1 win, first ever Libertadores title. This earns them a berth, not only to the 2023 Club World Cup, where they will await in the semifinals for the winner of Egypt's Al-Ali, against the winner of Saudi Arabia's Al-Itihad and New Zealand's Auckland City, but also a berth to the expanded 2025 Club World Cup. Love me some <laughs> Copa li- because Con Bowl, baby. <laughs> Thoughts on John Candy?
1: <laughs> I just can't get over it. <laughs> you. Uh, last week, we're just like you need to watch these highlights. Like you, there is no there there's no other option and i'm on my lunch break watching the highlights and we're just three minutes in choking dudes out (laughs) off corner kicks and my boss knocks on my door to ask me a work question as it's on my computer screen and just goes what in god's name is going on (laughs) on your computer Meanwhile, my brain's like, oh, you mean you didn't watch the Copa Libertadores final on Sunday afternoon? Oh, my God. Uh, oh, God. It's a perfect competition.
0: It was. I was really bummed when Aaron Asson and Al got eliminated because I really wanted Johnny Cardoso to win a Libertadores final. I, th- I would assume he would have been the first American to ever do so.
1: I think... It's just amazing how, like, obviously coming from an American-centric view of how you and I view sports, like, soccer is the deal. You know what I mean? Like, soccer is it everywhere. Like, obviously, you and I watch Arsenal. We follow DC United, follow the U.S. men's national team and i think you and i would agree that you know the most important trophy outside of the fa community shield is <laughs> is is the uefa champions league and it is nuts that a competition like that holds maybe not even equal weight probably greater weight in south america right i mean you mentioned it like Marcelo, a player who's won 9,000 Champions Leagues with Real Madrid, was reduced to tears winning Copa Libertadores for his boyhood club in Brazil in a stadium where at the 2014 World Cup, He was heartbroken as they let Germany score 9,000 goals on them. I don't even think that match was at the Marikana, but you get the idea. Um, It was just super cool to see that level of emotion at the end for a competition that I think a lot of people in our part of the world barely know exists. That's what round robin is all
0: about, is me enlightening you of all the cool soccer shit and I'm on sorry the- that
1: the the Porsche if, if y'all listening haven't seen it you can probably just just YouTube the highlights around like the seven or eight minute mark you, there's just a very basic clearance and you see two dudes literally scrapping <laughs> in the middle of the field like 20 yards away on, from the like the camera on.
0: pans as the ball is like crossing midfield it's like oh and <laughs> these guys are fist fighting each other anyways
1: <laughs> like, they are they were just on business in the middle of the Copa Libertadores final for no reason at all and it's incredible ah uh. What a good episode. Any final thoughts, Durs?
0: Uh, we will be back right before Thanksgiving to recap the Nations League quarterfinals. We do also have more group stage in Leagues B and C. We need to talk about that today, but um, that will also be happening. All eyes on Vinci Heat, baby. Um, We'll probably preview MLS Conference Semifinals a little bit, too, on that one. Other than that, soccer's the best. That's all I got. Ah. Uh. We do have some World Cup qualifying coming up for uh, Africa, Asia, and South America on this next Monday, too.
1: Love it. Soccer is the best. Anyway, good stuff. As Andy did say, we will be recording right before Thanksgiving. Hope you all have a great lead-up to Thanksgiving. Try to finish this last week and a half or so strong before the government gives us all a measly – two whole work days off without having to take vacation uh yeah if you don't got anything else my name is Don Plum with my esteemed and much much smarter colleague Andy Loman. thank you for listening thank you for making Because Concave part of your day night evening afternoon or whatever it is when you may be listening see ya <laughs>